Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down the movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by The Chick and the Duck. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Um, today's show is brought to you by Niger Bowl. I'm already off the rails. A taste of Nigeria deconstructed. Come by our new food truck for a Niger Bowl. Welcome, everybody, <laughs> to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're podcasters who sometimes do filmmaking. <laughs> that's pretty uh, much it. That's yeah. pretty much it. Um, yeah, we we like to analyze films from the standpoint of people who operate behind the camera, in front of the camera as actors, uh, producers, uh, cinematographers, writers, everything. I've done almost everything you can do on set. Uh, usually because I'm often the only person on set. <laughs> and so you do what you gotta. But the nice thing too is, you know, I, I devour so much media. It's fun, but it's also partly work. Um, just because you don't really turn your brain off. Um, or at least I don't when it comes to consuming media. But there are some moments when it's very nice to just sit and watch like a comfort film or a comfort show that you've seen a thousand times is familiar. And in that way, I, I can kind of click it off a little bit. So like I, I often go back and rewatch old shows, right? I've seen Futurama three trillion times. And uh, as most listeners probably are aware who also watch Futurama, um, I still have a lot of their products, but also I'll go back after that's usually like nighttime. I'm, I'm tuning down for the day. Um, but I also go through and watch like Entourage. I recently rewatched that, How to Make It in America. Right now I'm going through House. Like I, I saw an episode yesterday that had Elle Fanning as like a six-year-old. And it's so good. I mean, there's a limit to what you can do as a six-year-old. But even within that, she, she's solid. But it's just funny to watch her and Hugh Laurie like going toe-to-toe. Um, oh, man. What very a entertaining. great duo <laughs> yeah and so i'm curious like do you have comfort media whether that's music or that you're like you know what i want to watch something but i don't want i don't want to watch something i just kind of want to sit and imbibe it a little bit do you have hmm. uh music or shows or movies that you throw on or are you too much of a man on the go to to have such comfort <laughs> <laughs> uh well i wouldn't say that but um i, I don't have films where i hmm can just put on and do something else i for whatever reason i just kind of i don't know i have if it's on if it's on i'm watching it if it's not or it's not on i guess but for music yeah like i i'll put on cigaros or i'll put on um uh, like lately i've been listening to zeppelin 2 and zeppelin 1 a lot and then uh you know or radiohead or something i'll when i'm cooking i'll put on music um uh, the new harry styles album is amazing uh, so I listen to that a ton. I'll just put it on and just like have it on in the background stuff. Mm. So yeah, there's a lot of, it's mostly music. It's not, not movies though, for me, especially not shows like TV shows are a different animal, especially for me nowadays. I feel like you get one episode and if I, you're, you don't hook me in the first episode, then I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of out, um, which is, is a shame, but I just don't have the time to dedicate you know, an entire season or five episodes of something. Cause usually the episodes are you most of the time they're like, you know, an hour or something. And it, uh, I just, I don't have the time to, to do that. So, so when we talk about like the bear, 
is a good example mm-hmm. of a show where it hooked me right away. Right away, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to love this. And so I watched the whole thing, like I binged it. You know what I mean? And I'm glad that that's a show. Right. Like, to me, that feels like a great example of what makes a good show, like a TV show or a series, See, I would say. Just the way that it's laid out, the way that it's written is just is great. But I think a lot of a lot of times shows could be films and probably should be. And you're just breaking it up into sections for for reasons unknown. I don't know. But yeah, so anyway, a uh, little digression there, but I, I think like mu- music usually is what I put on to just kind of like chill and enjoy. Nice. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I always have to remind myself to listen to music like, Hey, Wes, you're, you're fried. You don't, mm. a lot, I listen to a lot of podcasts, you know, I read a lot of books. I read two books, short, short books this past week and it can start to overwhelm you a little bit. And I, I tend to forget like, man. I don't feel like listening to a podcast because a lot of the stuff I listen to is very information dense. I like debates. I'll listen to debates. I love hearing uh, people on two diametrically opposed sides of a topic give their best foot forward. Like, hey, here's why I'm right. Here's why you're wrong Um, and vice versa, right? It's very illuminating and reinforces my gray area (laughs) thinking of life. Um, But there are days where I'm just like, man, I can't. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to. I'm, I'm taxed. I'm exhausted. Then it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, throw on some Maggie. Haven't listened to a ton of Harry Styles. Uh, the stuff I have listened, it's always really good. It's, it's a uh, nice poppy, uh, and you know, entertaining. No Led Zeppelin. Like I've never listened to maybe one, one of their albums, but mm. yeah, most of my comfort stuff is going to be like, oh, here's a movie, you know, I can whatever throw on Aladdin or something. That's just, okay. I don't have to exhaust myself. If my mind wanders, that's totally okay. I'm not going to get lost in the story. And like, I've been working on the new script the past few days and uh, it's, it's nice. I can sit there and watch a half an episode of house and be like, Oh, you know what you need is blah, blah, blah. And just start making notes to myself and then come right back to it, you know, and, and houses, you know, making a clever little observation about humanity. (laughs) Yeah, that's completely which simple. is usually accurate. <laughs> yeah, that's what that accurate. show is. I loved that show. Dude, incredible stuff. Nice. I would say Indiana Jones kind of fits in that same thing for me. Like, I've gotten to a place with uh, like Spirit of the Way for a while. That wasn't comfort viewing for me. I hadn't seen it enough. You have to pass a certain threshold from something that oh, I really love this, but you need to see it like four, five, six times before it gets into this comfort zone of. I know all the beats of the story and it's uh, uh, it's it has a soothing element to it because you know where where everything's going and Indiana Jones. And so I've recently gotten there with Spirit of the Way. I got to see that in a the theater recently and I was like, oh, man, this is really fun because I don't feel, I don't know, challenged uh, in that normal way. I can just kind of sit and uh, really focus on it. And it was a completely different experience watching that in a theater as opposed to at home. I'd never seen it in a theater and just the magic of a sitting in a theater in the dark and being forced to actually focus on one thing. Uh, it's, it's hard to really beat under the right circumstances. And in a similar way, Indiana Jones has always kind of been that for me as well. Like I can sit and watch Raiders, uh, but really uh, last crusade is where I can just enjoy. I can turn off my brain. Um, and in that way, today's episode is kind of difficult because I walked away with nothing. <laughs> like I, I couldn't I've got it stuff. <laughs> it's the best. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and on that note, uh, what are we covering today? 
So, yeah, today we're covering Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So if you have not seen it, I believe it's 1989. Yep. Uh, so if you have not seen it, please pause the episode, go watch it. I uh, don't think it's streaming, but uh, you can, I'm sure you can find it on the web somewhere. Pause this episode because we're going to spoil a lot of stuff. Yeah, we'll go through all the stuff. We'll look at some of the cinematography. There's a, a moment towards the end where they do a really good big grand reveal um and i just love the way uh they shot that and set it up um we'll look at a little bit of that some of the story and writing the way they add new depth to an old character right this is a third uh film of indiana jones and how do you continue to, to flesh out that kind of character that we know so well um they do some really simple stuff with that uh and other such stuff and things and stuff and a quick synopsis of the film. In 1938, after his father, Professor Henry Jones Sr., goes missing while pursuing the Holy Grail, Professor Henry Indiana Jones Jr. finds himself up against Adolf Hitler's Nazis again to stop them from obtaining its powers. Directed by Stan Spielberg, screenplay by Jeffrey Bohm, cinematography by Douglas Slocum, featuring Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, Sean Connery as Dad, Allison Duty as uh, Elsa, Denholm Elliott as Marcus Brody, John Rhys Davies as Sala, and River Phoenix as Young Indy. Archaeology is the search for fact, not truth. If it's truth you're interested in, Dr. Tyree's philosophy class is right down the hall. <laughs> so forget any ideas you've got about lost cities, exotic travel, and digging up the world. We do not follow maps to buried treasure, and X never, ever marks this spot. 70% of all archaeology is done in the library, research, reading. We cannot afford to take mythology at face value. Next week, Egyptology, starting with the excavation of Nucrates by Flinders Petrie in 1885. I will be in my office if anybody's got any problems for the next hour and a half. I could watch a film of just him lecturing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally I agree. Maybe that's what the new one's going to be. It's just him in a classroom. I <laughs> <laughs> think so. Drawing on chalkboards. Uh -huh. I think there are two kinds of indie fans. Those with Raiders at the top and those with Last Crusade at the top. Which one are you, sir? <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what it says about me, <laughs> but I am... A hundred percent last crusade. Same. <laughs> no question. Okay. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. good. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. This is okay. I, I loved Raiders. Raiders is fantastic. Fantastic film. If you haven't seen our episode or, or heard our episode on Raiders, please go watch it or listen to it. This one is a whole nother level. I mean, in fact, I was having a conversation with my wife and right. I was watching it right after the, uh, the tank scene. I stopped the movie and I said, this might be my favorite Spielberg film of all time. I mean, because I could watch this a hundred times and not be sick of it. And even the cheesy moments, they're only cheesy because it's 1989. You got to yeah. keep in mind, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, typical stuff of like when he steals the horses and he just rides through everyone. They've been shooting at everybody in the mountains the whole time. And they're just going to let him ride off with five horses. Like, no shoot him um there's there's plenty of things where you know in 2022 you're looking at it and you're like that's come on but when you're sitting imagine sitting in a theater in 1989 and watching this and seeing all the the crazy amazing shit they did it, and just the incredible storytelling and they tell the story not just with 
not just through the words and the actions, but through the writing, through the cinematography. I mean, when he's, when they're looking, when, when they're held captive, captive about halfway through the film, the uh, dad and Indy, and the, he's saying, oh, I don't have the map because the pages are torn out. Oh, Marcus has the map. Marcus, he speaks 12 languages and, he, you know, he has, has a two day head start and all that stuff. And they do the slow roll into Indy and then they cut to Marcus, like wandering the streets, you know, <laughs> like it's freaking perfect. The amount the the amount of comic relief in this film is absolutely flawlessly done. I, I because I feel stress in moments, but I also feel this this innate feeling of. I wonder how they're going to get out of this, not are they going to get out of it? Hmm. And I think that's the, just the owning of what this movie is in the making of it was what is what makes this movie good, right? It, they own Indiana Jones and his his attitude towards everything is the way they shoot this movie, the way they wrote <laughs> this movie, you know, where he accidentally when they're tied up in the uh, and the in the fires going on, they accidentally hit the the button that swings the fireplace around, you know, and then they do it again on accident. And the lady looks at him and she goes, ah, and scream. And the whole, the whole thing is just so it's fun and stressful at the same time. And they pick their moments to not be fun. The end where only I, I remember being 13 years old, 12 years old, seeing this film and being so stressed out. Only the penitent man will pass. Only the penitent man. Just saying it over and over and over again, cutting between dad and Indy, saying it over and over again. And I'm like, I don't know. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then he kneels and then he rolls forward. It's not just he kneels because earlier we see the blade come and cut that guy's head off. So we think, okay, he's got to kneel. He's got to kneel. But they take it a step farther and they have another saw blade that comes up off the ground. And, you know, something that only Indiana Jones would think to do. Like you don't just kneel and stay still. You kneel and do something else. You got to move. Get out of the way. Yeah. Get out of the way. Right. Uh, so anyway, the the stakes are super high. I love that Nazis are the bad guys again, and as they're especially they're high for a different reason at the end. You know, Indy, Indy. Yeah, he wants the Grail, but he wants to save his father. Like that's it. And the whole father son dynamic this whole time is incredible. The the situation of. Was this the first time this happened? Because it's happened so many times since. Did did Spielberg invent this? Where where when the the tank goes over the edge and they're mourning Indy, and then he turns up behind him and he looks over the edge and oh my god, Harrison Ford is so good at that. He's just <laughs> like this. He's like shaky and like Gassed, breathing heavy. Yeah. yeah, and then I think that might have been the first time that that ever happened. Because since it's probably happened like twenty times. Right. You know, you think somebody's dying, you're looking over an edge, and all of a sudden they pop up behind you, and then you're surprised and happy. Um, but that dynamic of the father being aloof, and you know, sometimes coming up with helpful things like the bird situation when, which it was ridiculous, but so fun. <laughs> When when he scares the birds I up and they hit the, the plane, <laughs> yes, found my Charlemagne. So in mo in those moments, he's he's helpful, but a lot of times he's just giving in indie shit, calling him Junior all the time, and then until the the end where he's reaching for the Grail, and he says Indiana. I mean, I get, I don't know why I get choked up. I think it's because the they have this perfect dynamic the entire movie, of him not giving to his son hmm. 
and his son pulling from his father the whole time, that conversation that they almost had in the Zeppelin was a fantastic moment where he's like, he closes his book, father closes his book and he says, what, what do you want to talk about? And Indy doesn't know. He's, I don't know. How about 40 years of life, you know, like, right. But, and then, and then he just goes, dad goes right back to it and he says, okay, let's get back down to work. And and he starts talking about it again. So they almost have this conversation, but they never do. And I, I feel like at the end when Elsa is reaching for the grail and Indy says, give me your hand, give me your hand, let it go, let it go, let it go. And she won't let it go. And she ends up dying. And then it, and then it's so brilliant to then instantly put Indy in the same situation where he is close now. He is tempted. And his father ends up saving him by speaking to him the way a father should. The way that God tries to. That's good. I would add on top of that, just what you said, it didn't occur to me until you said it. Uh, What he says there, whenever he's calming and just, what does he say? He says, Indiana. Yes. He doesn't say junior. Yes. And he's, and it's like, he's acknowledging and seeing his son for the first time. Yes. And then, and then afterwards he calls him junior again, (laughs) you know, he he gets, you get one moment, bro. Like, it's not like he changed his personality. He's not like he changed his character. He's, you know, and, and I love that we were, we reveal the, his name. Where did he get Indiana from? That's what we call the dog at the very end of the, (laughs) because apparently that's what how george lucas named the character it was named oh really after, uh his dog yeah oh my god that's brilliant it just uh, everything about this movie from the writing to the acting to the directing to the cinematography to the lighting i adore the lighting in this movie the way that they light indiana is fantastic he, he his hat always cast, cast this shadow unless you need to see surprise on his face. And then there's, there's no shadow on his face at all. And then the, the tank scene at the end is hat blows off. Right. Which is a huge, like when the whole movie, he does crazy shit and his hat never comes off. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's glued to his head. And yet in this moment, there's so much stress and you're, it makes you think this is it. This is the mm-hmm. end. His hat blew off. That's it. And then, and then when, when they're, when they realize he's alive and his dad says, come on, Indiana, what are you sitting around for? And then his hat (laughs) blows right into frame. It's just like, here you go. Let's keep going. There is no time to rest. Here's your hat. It's just, I, I cannot put into words how much I love this movie. And I'm not just saying it because it's an iconic film or it's been around for 30 years. I, I'm lit. I'm literally saying it because if it were to come out today, I would, I would still love it. I might call out cheesy moments, you know, but I love that the love interest is very short. It's not drawn out. Mm. It's like they have this really fast moment and then it's almost like, and then they just let it go. Right. Yeah. Cause this isn't about that. Yeah. Right. And, but they play with it a little bit because obviously dad had the same situation. She and seduced you, him. And you too. need it towards the end because you also need to believe, well, in, I mean, from that point on, yeah. her whole introduction, you need to believe that there's chemistry there, um, that they have a connection because uh, first, you know, she betrays him and you need to believe that he's in, emotionally invested in her enough to be betrayed in the first place. Right. And then towards the end of the film, you need to see her turn around. And now we need to be connected enough with her to want her to turn around, um, which is, you know, 
entirely resting on their relationship because we're really only invested in Indy um, and mm-hmm. seeing her turn around. And now we don't want her to die. And so seeing her die hits us, you know, and it's yeah. like, oh, that sucks because I thought she was, you know, she was only ever there the same as Indy. She's just on the wrong side of the fence. She yeah, cares about she the- had, they gave her several moments to feel bad. Yeah. When they're burning the books, she feels really bad. And you can see it on her face. She's almost crying, you know. And then when he puts his hand around her neck in the next scene, she says, all I have to do is scream. And she doesn't scream. And, you know, like, and then she she purposefully gave the guy the wrong the wrong cup. You, you know, she knew it shouldn't have been metal. So, yeah, all of these things, they give her redeeming moments throughout the rest of the movie after that, which is... Yeah. Is great storytelling. It's just, you know, you have to, once you've made somebody a Nazi, I mean, dude, how do you not cut out? Yeah. How do you make the audience not want them to die a horrible death? And it helps that uh, she is just stunning, right? She's absolutely beautiful. Oh, yes. In that era, that's such a great era because, you know, all the, the, the style is its own thing, right? 30s, 40s, Europe. Uh, even America, right? Men are in these three-piece suits, um, and she's wearing this, you know, bright red lipstick, and her hair is the only blonde hair I think that's in the entire film. And so she pops out. You throw it in the updo. You give her this nice uh, wardrobe, and suddenly, you know, we're attracted to her, right? She pops. She just kills on the screen um and then you throw all those other things we've been talking about her connection with indy and um the way we begin to you know feel bad for her and identify with you know her struggle of being a a a doctor right and uh passionate about what she does as well as like siding with us she kills donovan she kills the guy who is trying to kill indy and you can see she doesn't even hesitate and she knows that she's that she's done it uh, because she gives him the cup, right? She turns and she makes this face to, to Indy and they're both on the same page. They're like, Oh buddy, here we go. <laughs> What's mm-hmm. going to happen now? Yeah. Um, yeah. They do a great job of uh, casting her, which is hard. It's hard to cast someone like that um, because she's an unknown. Like, I don't know if she had many big roles before that. Certainly, uh, you know, nothing that I've seen even after that, but thanks to, Indiana Jones uh, and Harrison Ford, you don't need to cast another A-lister right there. You can go and find someone who's incredibly talented um, and who looks the right part because you want that blonde-haired, blue-eyed idea. Yes. Because now it's also that much easier to buy into, oh, crap. Of course she's a Nazi. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's the the, the perfect, you know, whatever, Aryan trap, right? Honey trap. She's German in 1938. Yeah. Right. Well, Austrian, but yeah. Austrian, right. Oh, sorry. But it, they just are able to cast as they want instead of like, well, no one knows who Harrison Ford is. So uh, we need someone, you know, that can also come in and carry and sell tickets. But because you already have Harrison Ford and in this film, you also have freaking Sean Connery, which is another huge boon to ticket sales. You don't have to worry about that. You can just say, man, you know what? Let's get who we want, not who we need. Uh, and that's a really great place to come from. Uh, and I think that's the kind of thing that gets overlooked a lot, you know, from audiences of like, oh, why didn't they cast someone better in that role? Well, someone better wouldn't have sold tickets. That's why. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, and also, also not just about that, but it would, it might overshadow the attention on Indy mm-hmm. and Connery. I mean, really, we are vested in them. And so if it was like someone super famous in 1989, which 
uh, Jennifer Conley, right? I don't, I don't see wanting Jennifer Conley to die, you know, right, to true. like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want to see somebody kind of expendable, you know, or something. So I'm not paying too much attention and I'm like, you, you know what I mean? That's a really so. good point because too, if, if they're a big name, you bring in some expectations on what you want out of that role. Um, yes. So it's not just you spend more time on them, but also do you feel like good about them being a Nazi turning mm-hmm. on Indy? Um, right. And once you kind of start pushing those buttons uh you you're dancing a little bit much with the audience um as opposed to someone like that walks in we don't know if she's going to be a main character or not like she can now grow into a bigger character and she ends up being an incredibly important character throughout the entire film but you don't know that when you meet her you don't know what kind of part she's going to play and so that wild card allows her uh to grow much bigger than you might have assumed if it's yeah jennifer Conley, meryl streep right oh well of Uh course she's going to be a thing what oh i bet she's with the enemy right because this big name needs a big interesting part you start getting ahead of the audience whenever you don't they don't know what to expect out of the uh, out of the casting decision that you've made uh it gives you a lot more freedom to tell your story for sure yeah that's interesting. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I could keep honestly, I could keep talking about this movie. So just get into your notes because I have very, very little in the way of notes. I'm with you though. This is a uh, my favorite indie film. I think it's because even though this, there's, it's still very light when it comes to um, the yeah. the the meat of the the story. Right? It's philosophically, there's not much at stake, but there are some stakes, and it really is just about the relationships. It's it's what makes this so much better is even though there's tons of you know cotton candy in this film, there are heartbeats in here that are absent in past films, and in this case, it's completely reliant on Sean Connery and Harrison Ford bonding on screen, uh, which they do in Spades. Uh, it, their chemistry is bananas and i love casting sean connery too because as we talked about in raiders this whole franchise was born because spielberg wanted to make uh, a james bond film and so who better to cast than james bond right and sean connery is the og bond uh and so why not use him and then make him the anti-bond the anti like biggest anti-bond ever because as bad as indy can be about like just failing Connery, it doesn't just fail, but he is just almost entirely inept. <laughs> he is yes. completely unfit for the adventurer's lifestyle. I've never had a gun shot at me before. Happens but to me all ca- the time. <laughs> and they call that they call that Indy calls that out all the time. He's like, he's not prepared for this. This is he's a he says says he's an academic. He doesn't do field work. You know, he he mentions it at least twice, if not three times throughout the movie, that this is not he's not good at this. Right. So he's allowed to then be this aloof kind of almost hindrance to Indy saving him. He's like, Dad, get out of the tank. And he's just like not getting out. Yeah. Anyway, I love that. I love that because it it, it is the stakes. That's kind of the uh, the the main stakes that we end up having. Right. Uh, like you said, his his dad is shot at the end. And now Indy has a has a timer and a big motivation because he has to solve this puzzle of the arc, uh, the arc of the Holy grail in order to save himself and his father. And that's, I think ultimately where that, that opening scene that I, that I played with him in the classroom, giving a lecture uh, is he's laying out all the things that he, it, it's the thesis of the film that immediately becomes the antithesis, right? The, the rest of this yeah. film is like proving it against it, proving it wrong. 
X never marks a spot. And like the very first thing he has to do is find the X, which marks a spot. And he says it, you know, also he's like, well, there it is. X marks the spot. And then uh, that hilarious scene with the, the library the stamp. stamping. It's so corny and it works so well. I think that's sound design and great editing Yeah, because we see kind of the, uh, the pattern be established, right? Like the stamp and the boom and his reaction is great. And then, you know, we see another stamp boom. And then the third boom is we're watching Indy, but we immediately cut back to him. And now he's just studying. <laughs> and we yes. can imagine that it happened again. And he's just studying the stamp. <laughs> Beautiful, cheesy, and absolutely perfect. I, I laugh still. It still cracks me up. Maybe that's... Can we also point out the, the amount of action and the pacing in this movie is flawless? We open with River Phoenix playing a young indie. How cool is that, right? And and so we basically, within the first four minutes, we have a chase scene. And we get to really know where Indiana came from, right? We don't see his father. It's, his father's hidden. We see why he has the scar on his chin from the, from the whip, which is so, so funny. Because that's, that's Harrison Ford's actual scar. <laughs> I know, right? So it... it is such in a brilliant way, but there is no need to explain it. Yeah. It is just a, such a brilliant way to identify a little bit more with the character as with where they came from. It's a great opening scene because for one, we're getting up so much more backstory on Indy as a kid. And this is where you can start to really build depth in a new way, because up until this point, we don't really know much about Indy's backstory. We get it in these hints, right? And Raiders, we got this kind of, uh, slap in the face uh, from Marion, right? And she's like, I know, I remember what you did to me. And he's like, hey, we're, we were stupid and young or whatever, right? And so yeah. you get these glimpses of him being a rapscallion, but we don't really know why he is the way he is. And this is building it out in a perfectly meaningful way that applies to this film. And so we see him uh, hilariously building out his myth, like you said, finding the whip and scarring himself and escaping, you know, bad guys for a, for a relic. And it's great because he also fails to secure the relic. Right. We see how he creates his snake phobia in the pit, which I don't know if, could you do that? Could you do that as an actor being a, a, a box full of snakes? If I'm in a movie, if I'm in <laughs> Indiana Jones, you, I don't care what it is. It, tarantulas. Yes, I'll do it. You're like Tyrone Biggums in that uh, Chappelle sketch. You're like, I can't eat all those worms. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, yes. I'll do whatever, man. I'll do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, that was real, Yeah, obviously. Yeah. River Phoenix was a badass, but yes, yes. I, I would do it. Well done. I'd be uh, terrified. But yeah. I would do it. Uh, I think it's one of those things as an actor, you just kind of, you got to black out a little bit, commit to, yeah. I've done some stunts before where I'm just like, it's fine. I know everyone here is a professional and I'm going to be okay. Uh, and with that, whatever, like I'll do whatever yeah. is needed. And, um, yeah. And so you just kind of commit your hands into trusting the people around you, uh, which, yeah. you know, doesn't always work out there, but it's rare. It's more rare than not. Um, for things to go wrong on set. And we also we also get introduced in that opening scene to his father and the way that his father treats him. Correct. You know? It's establishing his uh, backstory with his dad, um, which is now going to finally create a real arc for Indy because at the beginning, um, he's at loggerheads with his dad. His dad won't even talk to him, uh, acknowledge him. There's clearly something going on in his son's life. And he's like, not yet. And he starts counting. He's like, no, 
and Greek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his, so you see these layers of his dad is studying something as well. And this is where he's getting his obsessions. It's not just, I love these things, but it's, I love these things because my father loved these things. And this is a way for me to get his respect and his attention. And we see it immediately fail. And it's such a great starting point because by the end of it, and this goes right back to him on the edge being held by his father. His father is the one that has to turn around and say, Hey, I was wrong. It's not worth it. Come back. Yeah. After 40 years of look, <laughs> right? Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Unreal. And it's so beautiful because it also took him losing his son once, right? The cliff mm-hmm. thinks his son goes over and he starts to really lose it uh, as much as this, you know, stiff upper lip guy can. Uh, and we see him start to immediately say, I just five more minutes wouldn't have been enough. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment. And also love after he comes up and he hugs him and you can see on Indy's face like, wow, Uh this is what love is. (laughs) Oh, this is interesting. And you can also kind of start to backfill all of Indy's decisions and his inability to actually attach to a woman. This is his third film and his third love interest. That's because he he has an inability to uh, attach to someone, um, probably because, you know, his mom, you know, it sounds like she died whenever he was young um, and his father just wouldn't engage with him. So how can he know what it means to love someone? Marion never had a shot because he didn't know what it was in the first place. Uh, and we're getting all of that from his relationship with his dad. But after he, there's a really great thing that happens after he comes back from the, uh, the tank crash, right. And he's resurrected, so to speak. I love the look on Marcus's face because suddenly Indy's alive and he's looking over the cliff and looking back at Indy and he's so confused and he's like, how did that just happen? Uh-huh. And I love it because it's kind of the surrogate for the audience. Um, that's like, wait, we never, we watched the thing go over. How, how did he survive this? That's exactly what we're, we're, we're feeling. And of course, like you, like you already pointed out, the fedora just magically flies back into the frame. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, okay. It's movie magic. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Spielberg, once again, is the king at that. He does it earlier in the film uh, in the catacombs, right? Uh, they go into the tomb under the water. They're trapped and the, and the casket fires everywhere. Um, and Indy goes underwater and he sees something. Then he goes back into the casket. I think I found a way out. Deep breath. Cut to the street. A manhole yeah. cover opening. Uh, and he says, I love Venice. And that's kind of the explanation. <laughs> like you were trapped in a tomb, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like just right underground, just right. like, you know, three feet. <laughs> Whatever. But he sees something out of frame and it's just, that's yeah. it. That's all the answer you get because Spielberg. That's why. Um, yeah. And on that topic, I guess, uh, before I circle back to the 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 big scope of Indy's arc, uh, which is there's a senseless ploy just for a clever reveal. Um, I don't know, halfway through the film, I guess when they're at the castle and they're escaping, he opens, uh, he jumps into the boat and he starts it and he pushes it off. And the dad is confused, right? He's like, what, what are we doing? And he's like, we're not taking the boat cut to the, the, the Nazis coming on. They start loading up in the boat and then the, the crate opens, motorcycle flies out. Like, what a pointless uh, little moment um, because they could have literally looked 20 feet away and saw no one is in that boat. <laughs> <What> a, <laughs> and instead, you know, 
it's just uh, this really fun reveal of Indy and his dad bursting out of a crate um, in a motorcycle and sidecar. That's the whole point of that, even though the the, the setup uh, was just really weird and nonsensical. Uh, it's just a fun visual element, and it's, it's fun. Like you pointed out earlier, like this is a movie just about fun. We'll find a lot of these fun moments, and that'll allow us some breathing room when we have these really good, brief, serious moments. Um, and it's just perfect pacing, as, as you pointed out. He could have waited another 30 seconds for them to be actually on the water. He could have done that or he could have saved all that time and immediately got on the motorcycle and had that much more of a head start. That's true. <laughs> like any of those other things would have been better for well, his Hey, wait, strategy. let's go in this box where I know that there's a motorcycle with a sidecar. Like, I mean, you know, but why is it that we're sitting here laughing at this, how ridiculous it is, and yet it's... It's one fun. of my, fa- I, I gotta, it's like, it's one of my favorite films. I just absolutely adore it. Absolutely agreed. And so at the beginning of the film, right, he says archaeology is about fact, not truth. If you want truth, there's a philosophy class right down the hallway um, because truth is about interpretation, right? But fact is about this cup is here. This, this is a real cup. Um, the grail is yeah. a real physical thing. We can get that. But everything around the grill that's myth that's that's you know you determining whether or not you believe in it god is something do you believe in god even though indy's had his brush with you know the supernatural um he's still committed to being about facts um and the science and i love that as a starting point um because and at the end of that sequence uh, of his lecture he says you cannot take mythology at face value you have to look for the facts of it. Um, then, of course, you get to the end. He now has to take mythology at face value if he has any chance of saving his father. And then even more pointed, um, and this is uh, highlighted by that that line from Donovan, whenever he says it's, it's now or never, right? It's time to ask yourself what you believe. And now Indy has to look beyond facts and believe in a truth about the myth of the Holy Grail. And it's immediately not just the, the penitent man, man, the penitent man, penitent man. It's the, uh, the not, and not even the spelling of, you know, Jehovah. It's the, the big leap, right? He has to step out on faith into a chasm, right? That's, that's where his big moment, a leap of faith really comes from. And what's interesting about that shot is he does something the Nazis do. He takes this really huge goose step right off the ledge. And it's drawing a, not necessarily a parallel, but a contrast of um, the thing that he's putting his faith in um, is something that, you know, is much more substantive and worth believing in maybe um, than, than what they are. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's obviously a very strong visual element, but he has to completely believe in something beyond himself and beyond fact. Um, he has to go by faith. And of course he gets cross and, uh, everything works out after that. You know, he mm-hmm. uses his brain, he uses facts after that. Uh, it's kind of the the amalgamation of faith. And in fact, whenever he finds the the grail, he's like, that looks like a carpenter's cup. Yeah. Which I love too, because Harrison Ford is a carpenter. Yeah. He, he likes to joke that uh, acting got in the way of his carpentry. <laughs> <laughs> his career as a carpenter was interrupted uh, by acting. And so, yeah, he, and he's a fascinating character. I, I found what, 
doing uh, research after last week's episode or uh, the Raiders episode, I, I came across uh, an AMA uh, on Reddit. They have these things called AMAs, which stands for Ask Me Anything. And Harrison Ford did one. Ooh. And it's so good. He's so funny. Um, there's so many really funny bits. Uh, he plays with his audience really well. And one of the questions wasn't even a question. It was just uh, someone said, you know, I love you. And he just replied, I know. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> so oh, good. damn it. <laughs> I'll, I'll link that in these show notes as well. Please. Just so that it's so worth reading. He does a great job of uh, honoring everyone's questions and also uh, giving a lot of great insights. I found it because you had made that, told that backstory about the the sword fight and the and the swords versus guns. Oh yeah. And he talks about his version. I found another version that's from the producers, and so it's interesting just to oh, read two. So there's a different version. There's a different version, um, and I put Ooh. both of those in the show notes uh, last week or two weeks ago. Great. And so, yeah. But I think that's what builds out so much depth to Indy as a character now is we're revealing him, who he was, why he is the way he is, uh, as well as giving him an arc, something to fight for uh, that's more than just relics. In this film, he's not fighting just to preserve you know, history. He's fighting to gain the respect of his father. And that just shines through in every single scene because nothing he does is right. Uh, in fact, our introduction between those two characters is his father apologizing for a vase that he broke, yeah. <laughs> even though uh, his son is the one that he broke it on. Um, and it's just perfectly in line with what we should expect from this dynamic. Um, they set it up really beautifully and they continue it all the way through the the final sequence when we see the the other part of the arc is his father changing and his father understanding there's more to this than you know to life uh it's there's something else here and it's my son and i need to finally you know recognize that uh it's beautiful it's really well done on top of that spielberg once again gets to kill a bunch of nazis (laughs) there you go you can't do better than that i mean if you're gonna make a movie just make it the way you want to just do it you know yep uh so let's kind of recount some of the ways that he kills nazis off uh because why not um for one machine guns that's i think the first way we 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 kill a bunch of nazis indy punches a guy grabs a gun and mows down like three of them right in a row and then of course there's Motorci- uh, the big motorcycle crash, right? He puts the spokes. I'm pretty sure that guy dies. I don't think you're surviving that crazy of a, a motorcycle wreck that flips over and this yeah. weird explosion, whatever. Plane crash, plane explosion. The one, right, that goes through the tunnel, uh, which was a really wild thing to, to create. They had to create this massive miniature set uh, in order to, to stage that um, and, and work out the logistics. Uh, we have the tank, right? That There's a tank crash, of course, but... They also get shelled by tanks. There's one that gets uh, run over by the the track, which was nuts because that happens not quite in frame, but you're looking at that shot and you're like, man, how'd they pull it off? It looks like the guy could not have escaped going underneath the the tank. So I'm guessing there's like some kind of stretcher, something sitting underneath because he goes right over the edge of the frame and we just hold there. It's, it's kind of nightmarish in, in its yeah. simplicity. We have on top of the tank. Oh, this is really like both clever and heartbreaking whenever you think about why he did it, uh, which was the Luger shot. He pulls out a Luger and shoots like four of these guys with one bullet. Um, and that's kind of reminiscent of the Holocaust. That's the kind of thing Nazis would do uh, to save bullets 
while killing, you know, Jews. Oh my God. And so you think about that similar thing happened with Raiders. Actually, when you think about uh, the final sequence in Raiders uh, with the arc opening um, as very similar, but instead of a bullet, he's using, you know, uh, the, the lightning of God. Um, and so you can see him doing all these kind of subtle callbacks to, to history. Um, that's just really brutal. Um, and maybe hopefully in some way cathartic, it's like, I'm yeah. going to fucking crush every single one of you. Uh, but then on top of that, you also have, once again, the satisfying crunch of Nazis under God's thumb, because at the end, right, the earth opens and starts swallowing up Nazis. Um, and that's kind of satisfying as well. Let's face it. Yeah. I mean, even, even Elsa, which, you know, coin toss on how you feel about that. Uh, that's that's a really interesting question of is she how much is uh, she a Nazi versus someone in the wrong place at the wrong time? That's one for historians, historians, I guess, or uh, philosophers, as it were. Truth uh, is down the hall. And so we have a lot of really fun ways to, to murder Nazis in this film. And they're all acceptable. There is no wrong way to eat a Reese's. Um, <laughs> and so, love, oh, my God. Might be the best thing you've ever said in this podcast. And so I love it. I love that, you know, this film uses history in a really fun way because it's combining history once again with uh mythology you know christian mythology the mythology of the grail and it's even uh kind of echoed at the beginning of the film that whole earth opening thing because at uh, towards the beginning there's that conversation between marcus and and uh indy where he says can you believe it indy something like that we're only one step away or maybe it's donovan donovan says it we're only one step away from finding the holy grail and, and indy replies to him yeah, that's usually when the ground falls out from beneath your feet. And of course, that's literally what happens at the end of the film. Um, yeah, lots of fun things. I would say every sequence you could probably start to, to pull apart. There's one other thing that's hilarious, which is the Wilhelm scream. Uh, if you've never heard of this, uh, I would be really surprised. I feel like this is a pretty well-known movie fact at this point. But it's a it's a famous screen that they use in a lot of movies. And it's kind of an insider joke to a lot of filmmakers. Uh, in fact, I'll see if I can pull it up real quick. You'll recognize it immediately. <laughs> so, I'll link a show note to it. But that was basically a studio uh, sound. What do you call them? Sound repository that was just used for a film that was made back in the early 50s uh, called Distant Drums. And they created a bunch of these sound effects uh, to, to use. And someone else used it a, a couple years later. And it kind of became an inside joke of, oh, I'm going to use it. And now it's been in like a thousand movies. Oh, my um, God. It's been in all the Star Wars films up through uh, The Force Awakens. It's even been used in like Game of Thrones. It's all over the place. Like it you hear that scream so many times and they, and I forgot it was even in Indiana Jones until uh, there's a sequence in the mountains. Whenever a guy gets like detonated by a, a bazooka or something, or a, a tank. <laughs> it <laughs> honestly, it honestly sounds like the tie, a tie fighter. Right. Uh, in, yes. In star Wars. Correct. It's, it's used in the tie fighter <laughs> sequence. Is there. it really? Yeah. 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 Oh my God. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> I, had no, I did not know that. Hilarious. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love it, man. I, this movie really does it for me. I struggled to make many good notes. I tried to scribble things back, 
but I just couldn't stop watching it. I, I just got pulled in. It's the chemistry. I think for me, it's really the chemistry between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery and Allison duty. The three of them work really, really well together when they're on screen Uh, and Harrison and uh, (laughs) Sean Connery. I love, Oh my God, the sequence, uh, the scene when they go to the castle and Indy has this brilliant idea She's like, I don't know how we're going to get in. He mm-hmm. looks at her hat and she kind of, and she highlights it as an actor. You're constantly trying to do things to help enunciate the point of the scene. Um, and, and she kind of grabs her hat a little bit. Like, what are you, what are you looking at my hat for? Right. And then uh, we cut to, she's got this big sheet eating grin on her face. Like she's playing the, the, the dopey assistant. Um, and the guy opens the door and she gets shoved through the door. And she's kind of playing this kind of three stooges. Like she's just, can't stand upright quite uh, her physical comedy is really good uh, in this film and he walks in he's doing this really terrible scottish accent um and it's almost like scottish slash russian slash turkish it's like i don't know what accent this is but this guy doesn't buy it of course but what's really funny about it to me is in light of sean connery playing his dad um and of course sean connery is scottish so you have an actual Scottish accent on screen versus Harrison doing this really campy version of a Scottish accent. Uh, I love it. Really amusing to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely love it. So do you have a favorite scene in the film? Ooh, um, do you? Let me chew on that for I, five I, seconds. I do. I do. And it's the entirety of the Zeppelin scene of the Zeppelin whole, <laughs> the whole thing one no ticket. let's start off yeah let's well let's start off with the fact that why the hell are they going on a zeppelin right, right? like that's just absolutely if you're gonna leave in a hurry a zeppelin is not the way that you leave uh in a hurry uh um then yeah the whole ticketing scene no ticket you know we get the the nazi off the off the zeppelin by the time he gets up after being thrown out the zeppelin's already in the air but also that gets them into a plane right for the plane sequence which if they were already in a plane, how do you then get into another plane or how do you have that? Se- I don't know. Maybe there's a way, but it was just interesting. I loved the, the but the, 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 the start of the action sequence is brilliant. It's just, we cut to the table and gla- a glass or a couple of glasses on the table and you see the shadows move. You have, it's a one second shot. You see the shadow move. And then, and then Indy realizes that we're turning around. And so we have to do something. And so they have to take action. It's so brilliant. I I don't even have words for how brilliant that is. It's so awesome. And then from then on, it's just pure action. Um, The, the, the camera work, when they go underneath the Zeppelin up in the rafters, the camera is just pulling back as they're running down the, the, the track. And then they get into the plane which is just kind of ridiculous. But then the funny thing about his dad shooting the, his own plane down, but then blaming the other, the other planes. <laughs> oh yeah. Us. They got us, Cindy, you know, or they got us junior. Far, Sean. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's so, so good. And, and then, and then that leads to the birds, the bird shot. And then the ridiculous thing of the plane flying into the, the, uh, the tunnel. It's so fun. I mean, he doesn't try to Spielberg doesn't try to make this in anything. It isn't the plane like going past them, the car and the the pilot in the plane thinking what is happening is it's just over the top. But it's just so wonderfully <laughs> wonderful because you want him to die anyway. You're like, yeah, that's hey, right. he's a Nazi. He needs to go. Um, anyway, 
So, uh, yeah, that would definitely be my favorite scene for sure. It's tough. I would say my knee-jerk instance is when I think of this film, I usually think of three sequences. The catacombs, um, you know, yep. with, with Elsa, uh, which is has a certain level of magic and mystique to it. The motorcycle sequence uh, always pops out in my mind. But the one my favorite has to be the grill. The, the, the entire grill sequence, you know, the, the tests and getting to the grill itself. Um, because for one, they did a, just a really smart job of setting up like, Oh, there's no magic involved. This isn't God's hand, right? This is a contraption. These are just really clever contraptions. You see, you know, the blades, you know, come out and you're like, Oh, okay. That there's no hand of God with a sword, you know, and you see the floor give out, give out and you're like, Oh, okay. Uh, they just constructed this, you know, thing in a way that, you know, uh, you can't get through unless you know how to spell or whatever. And then you get to the bridge and like, Oh, but what about this? No, uh, they just cleverly hid the bridge, uh, on the background of the rocks. And so they, they dispel all these myths through physical explainable things. And yet we're not left without magic because he crosses the bridge. And what does he find on the other side is a 700 year old knight. And it's so cool to me because in the first two films, the magic was always dangerous, right? Uh, you have the the arc that you can't interact with, or it's going to just kill you. You have this other religion that has its own things going on, but will also kill you, <laughs> is looking to kill you. And now we come to how do you top those things, the su the supernatural, and do it in a fresh way? Well, how about we just have someone... Who you know, let's encounter someone from 700 years ago uh, who's just been there, who's just been there waiting. And that's such a cool, simple idea of we'll throw, you know, some white makeup on this guy. Uh, we'll cast an older gentleman and we'll put him in a, a armor and we'll make him a crusader. Uh, and now you get to interact with something that is otherwise unexplainable, right? Uh, it's such a beautiful, simple thing to make you believe in the magic of the Holy Grail. Uh, and then of course we have actual, you know, supernatural elements that happen after that. But I just love conceptually uh, that there's a knight here and he's so faithful that he's never left. He's honored his, his word and his duty uh, as a knight. Um, and it, it's, I just love it. I love that as a supernatural element of just a man. It's just a person instead of the hand of God striking someone. It's no, we're going to, we're going to have a dude in, in chain mail. That's yeah. I love it yeah. because I believe in, it. I suddenly I'm like, Oh man, this is a, this is a night. Oh, I mean, it's just an actor in a costume, but to me, yeah. that's a night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He chose poorly. Yeah. That, it's just forever, you know, a line in my vocabulary. Yes. Forever. Uh -huh. uh, okay. Well, any any final thoughts notes um i mean i could i could probably talk about this film for a long time but it's it is this is the reason why people think that spielberg is is the best yeah. and uh why really i know i give shit you know about him about his latest work you know like his most recent work and stuff but when when i you talk about the indies you talk about munich you talk about jaws you talk about et like there are reasons why those are iconic films it's not just because it was the first time that they had been done it's about the way that they were done the first time and i think that that has a lot that 
that has history to it. Not only is it the first time it's done, but it's done beautifully, flawlessly, thoughtfully, and intentionally the first time it's done. And for someone in 1983 or a 1986 or a 1989 or whatever to to be doing that with a tank, to be doing that with the idea of this relationship between a father and a son, to give them personality, right, is the reason why Spielberg is going to be is one of the greats, if not the greatest, and will go continue to go down as that, you know, he created in entire scripts are just words on a page. They mean almost nothing. They are a blueprint. And I think you agree with this. They are a blueprint for a story, right? But the thing that makes that come alive are the actors, their relationship and the director making sure that that's captured. Right. And I think that that's done so flawlessly in this film. I could watch it right now again. I just finished it right before this episode. I could watch it again right now. I'm watching it right now. I'm currently watching it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that from, you know, two hours ago. Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And I rewinded. Oh, man. I Yeah, this moment is great. There's just all these little little subtle things that are just flawless. I, I love it. I adore, adore, adore this movie so Same. much. I, yeah, easily. I remember this is one of the first films I remember watching in a movie theater uh, and it just stuck with me ever since. And what's interesting, this is another little, I'll add it to the show notes uh, thing, which is the cinematographer, Douglas Slocum um, has a history with Nazi Germany. Um, he was in his mid to late twenties and right around the, the same time uh, he narrowly escaped the invasion of uh, uh, Poland. He was, you know, a photographer at the time and a budding filmmaker. And he got a a gig like chronicling the invasion of uh, Poland. Um, And at the time he said he was completely unaware of like the Blitzkrieg and the, the the way the Nazis were invading. He was kind of used to war in the trenches, um, world war one style of, of war. And, and so I'll link the, the, the article that discusses his experience because there's some, you know, simple, small, heartbreaking realities that he experienced there. Um, But there's also this really humorous little anecdote uh, where he says that he was given a a camera, this big, heavy, I think it was a Bell and Howell maybe, where, and it was just really noisy. Uh, And apparently he was, he he was attending or filming a, 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 a Nazi uh, conference, (laughs) a little, little, little conference and Goebbels was speaking and apparently his camera like jammed or something and it created this really now loud noise and to the point where Goebbels stopped speaking and looked at him and everyone in the auditorium turned and looked at him. He was like, that was a, a frightening moment, but you know, everything was fine. Wow. Um, and so, <laughs> but I can just, in my mind, I picture that moment of him looking at his camera like, and everyone's stopping and all these Nazis turning to look at you. <laughs> That's amazing. Because of the scene where with Hitler mm, in this film, yeah. where where they <laughs> get shoved they to the front, push they and he gets shoved to Hitler, and you're just like <gasps> holding your breath. What's going to happen? He's face to face, and he just signs his book. <laughs> so that is such a moment that does not be in, need to be in this movie, and I'm so glad that it is. It's so it's good. Just, I feel like oh, it's a continuation of Spielberg kind of creating the Nazis to be these stooge like idiots. Um, who are all yeah. kind of slipping on banana peels uh, with, and here is Hitler with a thing in his possession 
that is going to get him what he wants. And he has absolutely no idea. Um, and it's just perfect. It's yeah. Love it. Yeah. Excellent film. Um, absolutely my favorite indie of the series. Zero questions. I love Uh, it. I'm glad. (laughs) What, uh, what are you going to recommend this week? Uh, well, I talked about shows. I'm going to recommend show. Uh, I just started watching the new season of only murders in the building. And I haven't, I haven't finished it, but I really like it. I just like, I liked season one. I love Martin short and uh, Steve Martin together. And I actually laughed out loud a couple of times <laughs> at Martin short things. Just the way Martin short is in this, in this show is so good. He, he just does, does so many great things. So, I mean, the show is, you know, um, interesting and, and fun and stuff, but I just love their chemistry together and the way Martin Short is, is always been funny to me and he's still funny to this day and he owns it. So yeah, Only Murders in the Building season two. Nicely done. I'm going to recommend a French film that was recommended to us. So I'm passing along, I'm liaising this recommendation from you uh, of a French film called I've Loved You So Long. Uh, It's absolutely just great i love little small dramas um and this is just such a wonderful film todd you should check it out Uh, i think you'll like it um it's got slightly difficult subject matter but it's so so worth it uh it's just beautiful so i've loved you so long it's got Kristen scott thomas who i think for a while lived under the shadow of her role in the english patient and to me this broke her completely out of that i mean she's always been Kristen scott thomas but yeah so check it out i'll embed the trailers for both of those um the new only murders as well as i've loved you so long and stay tuned spielberg september is now officially at an end but we are mm-hmm. not done with spiels uh because next month for october we're going to be doing creature features and what better way to start that off than with jaws yes love it so we'll take a look at the big minnow and see <laughs> what's going on there <laughs> and uh if you want us to if you want to leave us a note if you're enjoying the show don't forget subscribe drop us a review and you can comment on this episode at the pestlepodcast.com slash indiana jones and the last crusade which i suspect was not done for ease of reference and more for SEO purposes. <laughs> Perfect. Make sure to put spaces between. That's right. Oh, man. And our quote of the day is from Leonardo DiCaprio. No hard drugs and no superhero movies. He said that to Chalamet, didn't he? He did. I saw that too. And I, I, I thought that is brilliant <laughs> advice to an up and coming actor. Could not agree more. So good. And the reason why it really struck me, too, is because he never met River Phoenix. And so, as you pointed out earlier, River Phoenix played young Indiana. But River died uh, in the early 90s, uh, really young. He was like 23. And Leonardo DiCaprio apparently saw him that night, the night that he died. Uh, and I don't know what level of impact it had on his his quote here, no hard drugs and no superhero movies, because he's also said that he grew up around a lot of hard drugs. And so he just had no interest in ever participating in that. But I love that as, as general advice for actors, like stay away from stupid shit in all forms, like the drugs and the movies. Like uh, you can. And I think that's also the genius of something like Indiana Jones. Harrison Ford wasn't trapped by this movie. If you play, you know, some of these other superheroes, like a whatever Iron Man, that could be a trap, right? That could be something that 
do you still get to go back to being an actor after playing Iron Man? It's hard. You know, it's, you have to really fight for it. You know, you're Captain America. You're not Chris Evans. Uh, well, oh, totally. You know, like you yeah. have to buck against the system to find your way. Whereas you create your own character um, and you're working to create other characters. That's hard. It's really hard to escape these big franchise characters. And, and I think that's what's made Leonardo such a mainstay is he's done a great job of staying away from franchises. Instead, he finds really good roles with artists like, you know, Spielberg certainly had his, you know, big films, but Leonardo, he's been amused for, you know, Scorsese and he just picks great roles that have nothing to do with uh, how much of a, success they were before he came to it uh he's he's brilliant i I love leo yeah totally agree could not agree more great quote i'm glad you put that in there (laughs) because i don't normally i don't normally stop and think about those kinds of things when i see them but i i thought about that and i thought oh my gosh he's so right it's great oh fantastic this is so much fun i knew it would be this fun (laughs) and it was great Thank you guys for joining us. We hope that you uh, got something out of this. Please share it with your friends, review us, subscribe, all that good stuff. It all helps a ton uh, with everything. And if you if you have a film you'd like to, to hear us talk about and dissect, we'd love to hear from you. So just let us know. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies. <laughs>